It's time to set aside the superficial. It's time to go deeper. It's time to engage in truth. Here's John Bornstein. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to Engage in Truth. This is John Bornstein. I'm a senior pastor of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church right here in Colorado Springs, and I'm thrilled that you're tuning in again today. We are continuing in our study of the radical teachings of Jesus Christ our Lord. It's a study we began several weeks ago. If you've missed those prior broadcasts, you can go to calvaryfountain.com, and there you'll find this broadcast and many others, and you can share them with your friends and family alike. We've been talking about laying up treasures in heaven. It was a radical teaching of our Lord that's found in Matthew chapter 6, in which he really challenges each of us to lay up treasures in heaven, to take up the cross, to follow Jesus Christ, to truly build for something that's eternal, not spending so much of our energy and time on that which is temporary, where rust and moth destroy it, where thieves can take it. All of these things that create great stresses and consternation in our lives, these things are to be laid aside. May our focus be wholly and fully on the message of Jesus Christ our Lord, the good news. He gave his life for each of us. We belong to him. We are now a living sacrifice unto the Lord, according to Romans chapter 12, verse 1. So we're going to be spending some time in Matthew 6, verses 22 to 23 today. And to help me do that, Dr. Ford is with me here in the studio. Dr. Ford, welcome back to Engage in Truth, my friend. Thank you, John. I just uh, thinking about, I always think about the living sacrifice and the, the fact that we have that habit of crawling off the altar. Just never <laughs> ceases to <laughs> amuse right. me because it just, it hits so close to home and it's so true. Amen. And these wonderful teachings of Jesus that, that have us focus on and really, I think, you know, going before him and asking him and the things that we're involved in, the things that we're thinking about, are, are these hay, wood, and stubble, or are these gold, silver, and precious stones? I mean, it's, right. it's worthwhile for us to reflect uh, before the Lord and the things that we're doing, the things that we're thinking. Lord, where, I, where am I in all of this? Am I on the right track? And, and show me where I need to be. That's right. Amen. It's really good a paradigm assessment. Right. It's the plumb line that Scripture talks to us about that uh, so often we can feel like we're doing something worthwhile. We can feel good about our relationship with the Lord, but unless we are holding steadfastly to the Word of God in a daily discipline of prayer, uh, of just supplication, of prostrating ourselves before Him in His presence of His holiness and cultivating this closer communion with God, then we can find that our emotions can lead the way, and then we are off kilter. We are so far off the plumb line, we didn't even realize it because we acclimated to the world around us. Right. And that's why these are radical teachings, because they cause our flesh to, to be conformed to the ways of the Lord. And we see the Apostle Paul struggle with that in Romans chapter 6 and 7. He even calls out this flesh as a body of death, right, that, that it needs to be conformed. He talks about buffeting himself daily. That he, that he not be undisciplined in his walk with Jesus Christ, because the thoughts of the flesh can sure dominate everything. And then we use that word feel an awful lot. Uh, it doesn't have the, the, the building blocks and the foundation and truth that it should. Yeah, so many times, you know, Paul uses examples from athletics, you know, running mm-hmm. or fighting. And I think it speaks to the intentionality that, that he approached his walk uh, with Christ in such an intentional way, like you said, every single day, just trying to figure out exactly where he was in relationship with the Lord. Was he on track? Uh, was he in line with the Lord? Was he spending time with the Lord? Just a certain intentionality that I think that we can Mm -hmm. all learn from. That's right. So today we're talking about how is your vision? How is your vision? 
What do we mean by that? Well, that's Matthew chapter 6, verses 22 to 23. Let me read that to you. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Powerful text. It really comes back to what we read in Philippians where the Apostle Paul really implores us to focus on the things that are are praiseworthy, uh, to, to put off all these things that hinder us, all the consumption into our soul that comes through our eyes, through our ears, everything that we're processing that, that corrupt the thoughts of men, or, or not that we need to be corrupted any further, but certainly can feed the corruption that's already in us. Our sin nature is pretty dominant, and it needs to be tapered and, and completely purged out of our life. That's the refiner's fire, and and we need to embrace the refiner's fire. We don't like it, but that is a necessity within the Christian walk, and it will set us apart where we no longer look like the rest of the world because, as we mentioned, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, he says these powerful words, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So yes, we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, and he has good works that he's already prepared before time began for us to do for his glorious kingdom work. So here we're talking about how the eyes receive that it is this window into our soul, if you will. So gathering up riches here on earth, I believe, blurs our vision. It causes us not to see the truth, the will of God correctly. Dr. Ford, before the program, we were just talking about how we really are given unto hobbies or other efforts or activities that we can be consumed by. I remember as a kid, uh, my neighbor was working on a 1965 Mustang, and it was all-consuming. Whenever he was not working, even foregoing meals with family so that he could uh, get that body shape and style just right. I mean, all, you know, fabrication that went into it, the paint and redoing the electrical and all the engine work that needed to to go into this, all just so that this vehicle would be just to his liking. And he probably spent countless hours on this. In fact, I don't remember him finishing it. I mean, the entire time that I knew this neighbor, that's that was his life, was dedicated to the rebuilding of this car. And that's just one example. And it can be all-consuming in such that that's what we fixate on. Everything, extra monies, every, every efforts and time that go into all of these sort of things. I'm not condemning hobbies. The reality here is that we lose sight of eternal things because that which is temporary can be so consuming and feel so real and and even fulfilling. There's a gratification that comes when we build something and we see it through, when we've cleaned out our garage and now it's the, the organized structure that we've always wanted it to be. There is a lot of satisfaction in these things. And so that temporary gratification can rule over that which has eternal value where there's an, often it is a thankless act of service where your, your left hand and right hand don't even know what the two are doing. Right there's such an act of service. People won't even know your name. You're foot washing. You're serving there, and that doesn't gratify the flesh very much. 
And I think that's why we spend so much effort on all the things that do bring us temporary satisfactions instead of that which brings God the glory he deserves to receive, our, our whole and undivided attention to these matters that are, that are eternal. And, and Dr. Ford, I, I'll call out somebody here, and I'm not going to give a name, <laughs> uh, but I was frustrated in my heart as a pastor because we've been spending weeks now in these broadcasts here on the air and in our services on Sundays talking about laying up eternal treasures in with the, the reality of what we read in Revelation and the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24 25, knowing that the things of this earth are going away very soon. If we believe that we are in the final jubilee cycle, if we believe that we're in the perhaps the imminent return of Jesus Christ our Lord, then we ought to be living that way. And here this particular person was absent from church for two weeks in a row. And so I'm obviously as a, as a pastor of a smaller church, I'm thinking, I wonder what's going on. I didn't hear about a vacation or anything like that. Turns out they were working on landscaping for the last two weeks. So foregoing church to ensure the landscaping project got done. Now, mind you, they're not selling their house next week. <laughs> it was all about making sure the landscaping was done. And then they were too tired to come to church. So in my heart, I'm grieved thinking, what am I doing wrong here? Uh, because this is exactly the opposite of what we're talking about. You shouldn't give God your leftovers. He should receive our first fruits. Sure, spend two hours with the Lord at least, and then go finish your landscaping. Don't right. give God the scraps. Right. That, that's where my heart comes into this, I suppose. Yeah, you're right. It's uh, like deep within us, we have an aversion to delayed gratification. <laughs> and if we think that our relationship with the Lord and, and those, things, those treasures that we're building up in heaven are going to be something that happens in the far distant future, mm-hmm. then I, I guess the way we're wired is sort of understandable. But the thing we're missing out on is a relationship with Jesus Christ now. Right. Now, we don't have to wait till tomorrow. We don't have to wait for heaven. We don't have to wait for eternity. We have the God of all creation that wants to walk with us through life today. Right, right. That's true. And, and you're right. I, I think that because those emotions can be so overwhelming, that, that sense of gratification, the desire for materialism or that thing that, that gives us some fulfillment. Maybe it's that dream we never got to touch or behold when we were a child right. and, and somebody you respected owned that. I've, I've heard from young men, in fact, who you start to reverse engineer things, peel back the layers a bit. <laughs> and uh, I was just with a gentleman uh, just a couple days ago who told me about a dream car that he really wanted. Here's another car analogy, I suppose. But uh, in this, it was like a 911 Porsche, right? And and so he was really wanted this car. Well, it turned out it was somebody he respected earlier on in his life who also had the same car. So he worked really hard to acquire it. And so there was a sense of fulfillment in taking possession of this vehicle, a sense of gratification. But then when you put that into perspective of eternal things, you think about how much work went into that and why are we not equally satisfied with the service unto the Lord that has those eternal values. And so what happens in this is those emotions, those connections even to our past can distort our vision, causing us not to see as God sees with clarity. And so there's a few examples in Scripture we need to think about. Before I do that, if you're just tuning in, 
You may just you're picking up right now two gentlemen in the studio talking about Matthew chapter six. Maybe this is your first time tuning in. You're listening to Engage in Truth. And this is a program of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church. You can learn more at calvaryfountain.com. Again, we're studying in Matthew chapter 6 about the radical teachings of Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, as we think about these these laying up treasures on, on earth versus those that are in heaven, several examples come to mind that the Bible shares with us. There's a story of Ananias and Sapphira. In Acts chapter 5, verses 1 to 11, and in this story, a man and his wife sold a possession. They brought the money to the apostles and laid it at their feet. Now, this occurred somewhat frequently. We see that in Acts chapter 4, verses 34 to 35. So the fact that people were getting rid of material possessions so that they could meet the needs of those in the church and in the ministry work at large, that was not uncommon. But here's a specific story that's called out of these two individuals. Their story's a little different because when they brought their money to the apostles, Ananias and Sapphira lied. They said that they had brought all the money that they had made from selling this possession, but in fact, they had kept back some of it for themselves. So Peter accuses Ananias of lying to God. And at that moment, Ananias falls to his death. The same thing happens to his wife, who also lies to God about how much they had received for their possession. So Ananias and Sapphira had seen earlier the praise and acceptance of others for having sold all these items, right? Because they were doing God's work. Therefore, they sold this great possession for the sole purpose of being noticed, accepted, and looked upon as though they were spiritual. And because of this, they lied to the Holy Spirit and their physical lives, and I believe even perhaps their spiritual lives, ended as a result. Because if they were not filled with the Holy Spirit, and perhaps they were not the believers that they thought they were, maybe there was the illusion of those that we see in Matthew chapter 7, calling on the name of the Lord, 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 haven't we done all these things in your name? He says, depart from me, I never knew you. So there's an image here of that, that they were, they were captivated. They, they felt had more worth, perhaps, in their material possessions, but they also wanted the accolades of having done something spiritual. So they wanted to be accepted amongst the community, but they really didn't want to let go of that which was re- where their real identity was, right? So, so that's a very serious thing. In example number two, there's a parable of the rich fool. So the parable of the rich fool, Luke chapter 12, verses 13 to 21. In that particular parable, Jesus makes this profound statement that we should all listen to very carefully. Here's what he says in verse 15 in that parable. And he said to them, take heed and beware of covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. Oh boy, we've heard of that probably a time or two. And uh, this parable tells of a rich man who has yielded a great crop. He decides to tear down his old barns, build newer, bigger barns, And then after he is done, he decides to retire, so to speak, thinking that he has enough stored up for the many years to come. So now he thinks he can just sit back, relax, take it easy, and what happens? Well, God calls him a fool and says that his life is required of him that day. So Jesus completes this parable by saying, So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You see, this man was ruled by his wealth thinking that all he needed was to accumulate more things, more safety nets, if you will, more materialism and possessions of this earth, only to die that night 
and to see all his wealth squandered and split up. He was unable to take it with him. And Ecclesiastes speaks a lot about that. So when riches are the focus of our lives, our vision becomes distorted. It has an allusion to it of grandeur, of safety, of security, of identity even. And Dr. Ford, we've talked about that. Even wealthy men who killed themselves in moments of downturn in the economy and their family discovered that they were still billionaires. It really wasn't about their wealth at all. It was about their identity that became consuming within their wealth, right? The, the, The wealth consumed their identity. That was their image. It was a power that, that, that fed some sort of gap in their lives, in their hearts, that they were trying to fill that void with something of what they thought was substance, and it wasn't. It was fleeting. And so the eye is a pathway which light enters the body. So the idea behind this particular passage as we talk about this light, and, and Dr. Ford, perhaps even for those who are just tuning in, again, the Matthew 6, 22 to 23 reads, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Again, whatever I behold, whatever I desire, whatever my eye is on and fixated on, this can lead to all sorts of idolatry, immoralities, uh, the illusion of substance. It is something that will be so consuming Everything, all the inertia behind you will desire it and and to the expense of everything else that could have much greater value, i.e. the treasures that are in heaven. I can remember a time or two when for two days I had something that was stuck in my eye and it continually hurt. I I think I was very young. I might have been 12 years old even at the time. And my, my dad and I had gone to the junkyard. And uh, I was convinced, even to this day, I'm still convinced, as we were watching this particular car being crushed, and it was such a great backdrop to the imagery of this story that we're talking about here today, because he was saying, you know that car right there? That was somebody's dream. And there was a whole stack of them. You know, thousands of dollars, countless hours of overtime and extra, you know, sacrifices that the family endured so they could have that piece of metal in their driveway. And there was stacks of them all being crushed. I remember one of them had gas still in it and it caught fire right there in this, wow. com- this compactor. And as a child, I was like overwhelmed whoa. by the sight. Like, whoa, exactly. <laughs> But in this moment, something got lodged in my eye into, and this is where I'm convinced, it almost felt like a piece of metal or some shard of the car had flown off into my eyes. We're watching this thing because for at least two days, my eye was bright red. It was agitated. I couldn't see straight. And I'm thinking, look at what God did in that moment as a child. I was so convicted by that person's dream going up in flames right there. And and likewise, if my eye is not right, it is no different than being filled with whatever it was that was now causing distortion of my vision. It was an irritant. I couldn't see clearly. I couldn't sleep right. Everything was affected by what now had entered my eye physically to give me a greater understanding spiritually how the same truth can apply. And Dr. Ford, I'm often taken into Hebrews chapter 11 Verses 24 to 26, it reads, By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Listen, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God 
than to enjoy the the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. So rather than giving into the passing pleasures of sin, he chose rather to be part of God's inheritance, of his people. He prioritized correctly. Here's what Egypt has to offer me with all of its riches and wealth, all of this materialism, the illusion, the grandeur of the most powerful nation on earth, he chose correctly. If given the two options of life, Moses is a great example here of saying, I could have had it all like Solomon, who is the preacher, is preaching in Ecclesiastes. You can have all this, but it'll leave you hollow, shallow. There's nothing to it. I chased the women, the houses, the substances of this world, the wines, none of it provided a filling to this void in my life, like serving God, fearing him and keeping his commandments. And here Moses chose correctly. Uh, James Boyce states, do you see spiritual things clearly? Or is your vision of God and his will for your life clouded by spiritual cataracts or nearsightedness brought on by an unhealthy preoccupation with things? I am convinced that this is true for many Christians, particularly those living in the midst of Western affluence. So particularly those living in Western affluence, we are saturated with materialism. We're saturated with all of the temptations that it seems like the flesh could just fill up all these voids with everything else around us, and we know that it is fleeting. We can talk about it till we're blue in the face. And yet we will find that a brother or sister who is close to us will go off and choose that path and abandon their loyalties to Jesus Christ and how they spend their time, money, and energies to those things. Now, again, this is not a condemnation of hobbies, of of having a nice home, having a nice furniture in your home, but these things become a preoccupation. They become an idol that we worship and be consumed with. And and that's where this... this, uh, Healthy alignment exercise comes in. That, that's really what we're going through here. Because I, I've wondered, have you, have you ever tried on someone else's glasses and notice how it affects our vision? I, I have. You know, sometimes when you're thinking, ooh, hey, those frames look great. I'm going to put those on my face and see how they look in the mirror, only realizing their prescription is not <laughs> good for your eyes and you can't see a thing. Perhaps it's time to take off Babylon's glasses. Because I think as Christians, we are seeing with poor vision. We're enticed by the system of Babylon. We've been talking about that over and over throughout the study. But for those who are listening for the first time, you're going to hear that terminology because that's what Revelation, the book of Revelation and God's Holy Word distinguishes is the system of Babylon, not just the region or the city of Babylon that we find within the Mesopotamian Valley. We're talking about the same system, even at the Tower of Babel itself, where a world dictator under Nimrod, it was all about the identity of men before men, a kingdom of men. That same system permeates the entire world today, there is nothing new under the sun. And so when we look through the eyes of uh, the maybe the glasses of Babylon, we wonder then why our vision is so distorted. And, and it's time to take those off. It's time to see clearly with proper vision. And when our eyes are focused on the things of this world, our eyes are cloudy. 
And we have a very difficult time in seeing the truth. If the eyes of our heart and mind are focused on the Father, then we will be in right standing with Him and navigate life with clarity. So, Dr. Ford, we've got a lot more to cover. I think we need to talk a little bit more about who are we serving then next week as we continue the study of Matthew chapter 6. We want to thank you all for listening. As you faithfully listen to Engage in Truth week in and week out, uh, we know that uh, it, it's, it's a blessing to us, and hopefully it's a blessing to you as you have sent us your comments and thoughts and your emails that come into us. We process through each and every one of those with great uh, attention to every detail as you send these things to us, because you matter to us, and we hope that this has been a blessing to you. To learn more about this ministry of Engage in Truth, you can visit us at calvaryfountain.com. After all, this is a ministry of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church. Uh, We're located on the south end of Colorado Springs. If you're looking for a place to worship with others, come and check us out. We'd love to worship with you. Services are 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. on Sundays. We'd love to see you there. Again, it's calvaryfountain.com. God bless you, my friends. Take care.